Hello, and welcome back to the Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yordana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yoma, daf Ayin Vav, page 76. It will not surprise anybody, I don't think, to know that the, the discussion of the man, the manna in the desert, um, continues onto this daf. And there's all, and some of it, again, is just very pleasing, so I want to discuss it a little bit. Sha'alu talmidavit Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So the, the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai asked him, Right, they're learning. They must have been learning. I don't know. Maybe they're learning Chumash. Maybe they're learning Midrash. Whatever it is. They said to him, "Why didn't the manna fall just once a year? Meaning, once you've you could do it on an, in any kind of interval, right? As long as you know that it's going to be, let's say, for a week or for a month, or you just need the yearly. Why does it have to be every day? Right? Meaning, this, it seems like. I think everybody can kind of intuit an answer here, but I think the question is a strong one. God providing for the people to make sure that they have the stuff that they needed could have been like in a very different kind of schedule. He said to them, I'm going to give you a parable, an analogy. It's similar to a king, meaning a human king, who has one son. This is, if you have, you know, he, this king would give this one son an allowance. The allowance would be once a year, he would provide everything for the coming year. And the son would see the father just that once a year. But if you, if he would have doled it out every day, then the son would have received his father and seen his father's face every day. And the nimshal, of course, the, the analog here is, of course, that by having this dynamic, by having the man come every day, it establishes a dynamic between B'nai Israel and God, right? So with the Jewish people, meaning these people who are in the Midbar, so let's say some of them had four or five people, five, four or five children, and they'll worry and they'll say, what happens if we don't get the man tomorrow? Then everybody's going to be really dying of hunger. So therefore, what happens? So they would daven. They would, you know, turn their heart towards heaven. They would, or it doesn't even say heaven. It's to their father in heaven um, to pray for food for the next day. So that the relationship, you know, between those people who are receiving the man and God who is providing the man becomes a daily a daily encounter instead of annual or whatever it would have been. So that's one possible in- answer as to why this would happen every day as opposed to once a year. We've got an alternate explanation. They got it every day so that they would be able to eat it when it was hot, meaning it's fresh, right? We get another alternate explanation. That they got it every day because what are they going to schlep? Meaning they're still on the go. Not not every minute of the of the forty years. Obviously, are they always on a, on the go? But enough of it that the procedure, if it had been such that they would have the man delivered in a larger quantity to let them for longer, right? Then they would have to schlep it along, and that seems you know very impractical. So these are good reasons, I think. Each one of them a good reason why it would be. You know, on the one hand, 
um, it, it fosters the relationship with God. On the second hand, it's the idea of you want it to be palatable and appealing. And lastly, because it's just too impractical to... to sh- then we have um, a really interesting interpretation by Rebbe Tarfon. And the discussion here will be kind of reminiscent of what happened to Rebbe Akiva in yesterday's daf. So Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Shmuel and other elders were sitting and they were discussing the Parshat Haman, this exact passage in the Torah. And Rabbi Lezer ben Amodai is sitting amongst them. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. He's the one who gets in trouble, not Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Tarfon puts him, you know, you'll, you'll hear. Um, so so he has a thought. He says, He says, This manna that came down to Bnei Israel in the Midbar was so tall, it was six, 60 cubits high. 60 cubits high, again, we talk about Dalet Amot being four to six cubits. Uh, Dalet Amot is four cubits, which we think of being four to six feet. So now multiply that um to you know, by what thirteen or fourteen, we're talking about a very high what pile of man. It seems really a difficult suggestion, and Amar Lo Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Tarfon agrees with this suggestion, meaning agrees that it's a difficult suggestion. Modai An Matayatam Magabev Devarim Omevi Elenu. He says to him, Modai, and again with no rabbi title. How long are you going to collect words and bring them? To us, that meaning the implication being you're just collecting words. This has no basis. You're just, you know, talking. And what I find particularly interesting here is, in contrast to Rabbi Kiva's reaction to Rabbi Lazar yesterday in yesterday's daf, which in fact we don't know, right? Rabbi Kiva does not respond. As far as we know, he kind of accepts the rebuke. If there was anything other than an acceptance of the rebuke, we don't know about it. In this case, Rabbi Lazar Modai says to Rabbi Tarfon Amarlo, Rabbi. Mikra anidoresh. I I'm actually interpreting a verse, meaning don't tell me I'm pulling it from thin air. I'm not. I've got a basis for it. He he's pulls a verse from Breshit talking about Noah and the flood that there are fifteen cubits, right? Fifteen amot that the waters um, rose to fifteen amot high to the extent that they covered the mountains. Meaning, if you is it possible that we would have these fifteen amot that would be from a valley, or fifteen amot from or from the plain, or fifteen from the mountains itself? Then, if you add all that up, right, then you end up with now we're up to forty-five, right? So that what about the water itself? Did the water like stand the waters of the flood? Was it like layers that it's going to pay attention to how much land is below it? Also, how could that ark, meaning the, the teva, the Noah, Noah's ark, how could it travel over the water if it's all at different levels? We have a scientific answer for that, right? Water always seeks um, one level. But in any case, he's asking the question. Ella, so he says, instead, like, let's note, so on the same day that all these fountains of the great deep, the Tahom Rabbah, they were all broken up. So then the water rose up and it was all level over the mountains. And then the verse says, right, that's the, the waters um, covered that amount of, of 
depth, I guess. And then he goes on, he's because you know, this is all very interesting, perhaps, but it's not it does not seem to be connected to the man and the 60 amot that he's claiming there. Which is greater? Which is greater? The attribute of goodness or the attribute of punishment, of retribution? Let's assume, right, that the, the attribute of goodness is going to be better, greater, more valuable than the attribute of punishment. And if we're going to say that in punishment, meaning in the case of the flood, which was retribution, we're going to say that the windows of the heavens were open. And then we're going to say, well, if he's being generous, right? This is a the character trait of generosity. So it's a verse from, from Tehillim, and it's specifically about this generosity, the, the goodness, and specifically in the case of the man, where it says that God commanded the skies to open up, and the doors of heaven right, were open, and then the man, the man around rained down upon them, and they could eat from this you know, supernatural food. So then, based on that... How many of these windows are going to count in a door? He says, well, if you're going to say you've got these windows in the amount of the of the window that is the punishment attribute, that gets you to, and there's right, that's 15 amot. Then you're going to say, well, there's four such windows in the door of the heavens that opens to give the man, then that's four times 15, which gets us to 60, which means that the man came um, down to 60, you know, 60 cubits. Um, and the Gemara goes on here, but it's not like he never, Rabbi Tarfa doesn't really come back and, and tell him off anymore. You know, he, he accepts that this is an interpretation. I don't think that anybody is really saying that this is literally what happened. I don't think even Rabbi Modai thinks that. So I just think this whole Midrash is just sort of out there. And that's what they're sort of reacting to. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's difficult to follow. I don't even understand what he's trying to accomplish with it. And so I think that's why the rabbi sort of reacts is like, what you're doing just doesn't make sense. Like, yes, it's very clever, the relationship with some of the words and the idea that the sky opened. But it's like, I think ultimately, it's too much for everybody. It's too much for me. And then beyond that, right, at the very end of this whole sugya, he says, the Gemara says, like, this is not accurate, right? If you pay attention to how the water rose over time and, you know, what exactly needed to happen for the skies to open for the sake of the for the sake of the sake month to come down, meaning it's totally rejected. It's just not rude to him again. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think, but again, the fact that they record it is always interesting. They could have yes. censored it out, but they do record it. In. Um, I'm going to move on to two more things here that are on this stuff. So they then get into a discussion about what are the five types of Inui, of afflictions that we do on Yom Kippur. Asur v'achila. So the first one is, you know, that we are not allowed to, we don't eat. Hani chamishat inunin keneged me. So how do we know that there were five afflictions altogether, right? Being eating and drinking is one altogether, right? Um, Bathing, smearing yourself in oil, wearing shoes and conjugal relations. So those are the five. 
So I'm a Rafisa's Rafisa's. Although, wait, I did. I got to interrupt you. Yeah. Kids always learn that the five are eating and drinking and yes. then knock off that last one. They knock off the last one. Or it's as it was taught in, you know, my kid's school, mommy and daddy sharing a bed. Um, uh-huh. So it says, <laughs> So it uses the word affliction or inui five times. And then they list out what the five times are. So they're from Numbers chapter, you know, Bamidbar chapter 29, verse 7. Vayikra chapter 23, verse 27. Uh, again, another Vayikra one, chapter 23, verse 32. And then again, Vayikra chapter 16, verse 31. And finally, Vayikra chapter 16, verse 29. Little interesting to me that they don't list it in order of how they appear in the Torah. It's sort of all over the place. But those are the five times where in these Pesukim, it's talking about Yom Kippur, and the word Inui um, uh, appears there. And then the Gemara one says, Are there really only five? Right? Maybe we actually should say there's six, meaning why, how do we know that, you know, right? They're going to say, no, drinking is part of eating, because it would make sense that maybe those two things should be uh, separated out. And then the Gemara is going to go on to a series of Midrash Halakha, uh, to basically explain how do we know that drinking is eating. And then based on that, they get into sort of a really interesting side tangent about the word tirosh, which means wine, and how do we know that that actually means wine. And again, really deep diving into psukim and showing, well, a pasuk, you know, means here, and it means a wine product, and it means wine, not just necessarily eating something from a grape, and so on and so forth. So the first point I just wanted to make here, and then I'll get to the second thing on Amud Bet, is, you know, it's interesting to see how there's even this idea that maybe eating and drinking shouldn't be together. Um, and again, I think this is one of these examples where they know that it's put together, but they just want to do the exercise of how do we know that from the Torah Shebechtav itself. And again, this is a great example of showing that interplay between having a Misora, right, the Torah Shebaal Pepart, that we have these five, these are the five, but then asking sort of the obvious question, well, how do you know it's five? And then going back to the Torah Shabbat Tav to prove that Achila and Shtila are really one and the same. Um, but I wanted to, the last point, well, before I go on, Anne, anything you want to add to that? Nope, not yet. Okay. The things they do on the next page is they get into a discussion of, you know, bathing and Rechitza and Sicha, right? That, you know, how do we, how do we learn that? Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, they go through Psukim basically from Daniel. And they quote this Pasuk from Daniel, Lechem chamudot lo achalti, lo lo sachiti. So this is a Pasuk from the end of Daniel. Daniel's 12 chapters long. Um, and I, where I wanted to focus on this is a little bit is that I think this is, again, a great example. Daniel's one of these books that, we don't really study, but unless you understand a little bit of the background of Daniel, what's going on here, in other words, the not so much as how it relates to Yom Kippur, but what the Psukim are trying to convey is very interesting. So the way Sefer Daniel is basically divided is the first six uh, chapters are essentially specific prophecies that Daniel had as they related to Babylonian kings. And then the second half, is sort of much more like Hashem just talking to Daniel or visions that he had. It's really visions that he had. It's a little bit different than typical Nivuot, and that's why it's really in Ketuvim, because it's more like a dream or a vision that he has, but then he has to figure out how to interpret it. 
And so the first passage that they quote here is from that second half where it's saying, you know, you know, he, this person said to him, it's part of a vision that he has, fear not Daniel for the first day that you set your heart to understand to, uh, uh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong pasuk here, because he said, uh, he says to him uh, that Daniel says that he ate no pleasant bread, nor meat or wine entered his mouth, and he didn't anoint himself. Um, and so then Rabbi Yehuda says, my lechem chamedot lo achaltzi, right? What does it mean? He didn't eat this pleasant bread. Um, I'm a Rabbi Yehuda, but raised a Rav Shmuel, but shilat, afilun hamad dechitei dechata lo achaltzi. He did not even eat the bread that was made with refined wheat. So the piece here that you have to know about Daniel is, is that if you read the first chapter of Daniel, he and two other, basically, Nebuchadnezzar sort of takes as a way of, um, you know, uh, let's say assimilating, that's really the world of what's going on, the Jewish people, he takes many of the youth from Israel, brings them to Babel, changes their names, teaches them their language, and sort of tries to feed them very good food. And Daniel decides that he's not going to eat that food. He chooses not to eat what the king actually gives him. And so this is really a reference to what is going on here. And a lot of what one or way to sort of interpret, say for Daniel, what's going on is, it's kind of a reaction to assimilation, we would almost say, right? Like Daniel is choosing not to assimilate himself even though there's sort of this active assimilation program going on by Nebuchadnezzar. And when you read that first chapter, Nebuchadnezzar comes off actually as very benign. You know, he just sort of wants to rehome them. He'll change their name. He'll change their language. He feeds them, you know, good food. All of this comes off as sort of, you know, the benevolent captive king, uh, captor king, I guess I should say. You know, he's not really up to do something bad to them. He just wants them to sort of adapt to the Babylonian lifestyle. And Daniel very, very much, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, tries to stay away from that. And the way he does that is, is by not eating that food that was given to him. And so, of course, the commentators there go a little crazy. He was trying to keep kosher or something like that. But again, you know, throughout this discussion, um, I think if you don't know that background about Daniel, what they're talking about here and what they're parsing art about Daniel doesn't totally make sense. This isn't sort of just a random Pasuk in one of his visions, this really has to do with an action that's reflected at the beginning of Daniel. So what I liked and found actually really interesting about this business in Daniel is that he seems to be listing off like the basic ways of conduct of like normal life, right? Meaning he's not going to eat, he's not going to drink, he's not going to wash, he's not going to anoint. Meaning we would list off a, a slightly different list. Right. If we were going to say that we're overwhelmed by a need to divest ourselves of our normalcy, let's say, and we're going to not eat and we're not going to drink. Maybe that's on their list, too. And But we might put brushing teeth on there. Right. Meaning we might put the word showering, which is a which is a different kind of thing, because anointing is not really what we do. But the this idea that he's like taking from his, you know, his basic conduct and that becomes, you know, the the blueprints, shall we say, for how we keep Yom Kippur. So I think we always have this question, you know, which came first and so on. Um, but but there still seems to be a, a, a very important emotional component to how he comes to these things, that this is part of how we would divest ourselves of our normalcy for the sake of this day. Um, I think the, the, you know, the arrow, let's say, that moves from Daniel to us is a valid and interesting one. 
I think that's a great point that, you know, it's, we're learning Inui from the abstaining from daily activity, which is exactly what Danielle did. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Stay tuned on tomorrow's episode. We'll give some more details about our upcoming CM. And until tomorrow, go and learn.